0: Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and I'm joined today by Jarrett Lerner, who is here to give us advice in parenting around the issues of body image, disordered eating, and self-acceptance. Welcome, Jarrett. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I am looking forward to learning from you today. Before we get started, I want to tell our listeners a little bit more about you. Author-illustrator Jarrett Lerner is the award-winning creator of the nerd series of middle-grade novels, the Giger the Robot series of early chapter books, the activity books Give This Book a Title and Give This Book a Cover, the Hunger Heroes series of graphic novel chapter books, and the Nat the Cat series of early readers. Jarrett is also the creator of the forthcoming illustrated novel in Verse, A Work in Progress, which we'll talk more about today. He co-founded and co-organizes the Kids Need Books and Kids Need Mentors projects and regularly spearheads fundraisers for various reading and book-related causes. He's also the founder and operator of Jarrett Lerner's Creator Club. He lives with his wife and daughters in Massachusetts. So, Jarrett, I understand that your new book, A Work in Progress, is based on some of your own struggles with body image and disordered eating. What was it like for you to explore a topic that is both so personal and can be so emotional in your new book?
1: So, um, thank you. Yeah, it was tough in a word. It was tough. I am known for um, a different kind of book. Uh, the work in progress, uh, which just came out, um, it's out now. It's been out for a month or so. It uh, is my fifteenth book, and the fourteenth, the fourteen books before then, um, I've I've developed a sort of style of using humor to approach various questions and topics and themes and ideas. Um, and relying heavily on humor to sort of entertain, delight, and keep my readers and lead them wherever I want to take them, even if it is to sometimes consider and confront some somewhat more serious stuff. A work in progress is is pretty much devoid of humor. Um, it's incredibly serious, and it, and it has to be. And I think a lot of people were surprised um, that I was coming out with a book like this. Um, they, they're like the guy who writes the farting robot books is writing a book about all this stuff. Um, so it was tough from a professional standpoint, just because it's harder. It's, um, hard. It's not harder. It's hard in different ways to write a book like this. Um, being funny, I think is ridiculously hard and and being serious is, is a different kind of hard. Um, and then the personal aspect just made it, you know, even naughtier and trickier and thornier. And it it really, uh, I really had to learn how to give myself grace. Mm-hmm. I would sort of get tangled up in this topic, in, in my own personal memories and in the difficulty of sitting with this material for a day, um, you know it was very difficult to come out of it at the end of the day and be a dad and a husband and a friend. It sat with me. Whereas, uh, my, my books where I was leaning more on humor, um, I would sometimes leave a day frustrated, challenged in the middle of an obstacle or difficulty that I couldn't overcome. But that personal sort of hangover, uh, did not follow me, that emotional sort of weight that I had sort of assumed during the writing, it wasn't there. It was more of like this mental puzzle that I could set aside. Um, so it was tough. Um, and I don't think if I didn't have the support system I had, I'm not sure um, I would have been able to make it through the whole way and and actually produce the book that I ended up producing
0: what uh what are you proudest of about going through that process that is emotionally draining to provide your current readers and new readers with um this really different for you approach to a book on a a tough topic
1: i think i'm uh i think i'm proudest that i kept going back and digging deeper and uh, that I made the book that needed to be made. So um, this book was made, I, I have two main editors I work with and one of them I've made the majority of my books with and she and I have become very close over the years. And the thing that is sort of our secret and the reason why we work so well together and I think why we create great books is because we are both, Um, first and foremost, focused on the reader. We want to deliver the best book for the reader. We check our egos at the door whenever we begin a project. um, And it's about the reader. And we discuss the reader, who they are, what they need. And my editor kept coming back with me for this book and said, you're not there yet. You haven't given them what they need. And she kept pushing me back as hard as it was and said, you got to dig deeper. You got to go harder. You got to make this more raw, more true. You got to be more honest and vulnerable on the page. And um, there were many times where that was the last thing I wanted to hear during this process, but I'm proud that I, uh, you know, with some help from my support system, as mentioned, kept diving back in for another few months of revision until it was exactly the book it needed to be um and i don't think i could have um i think it's as raw and honest and vulnerable and true as i could as i could make it and um it scared me and was tough but i'm proud that i kept going until we got to the place that was a book that i think is the book that kids need
0: one of The statistics that was most shocking for me as a mom as i was reading the press release about your new book um this was reported by nbc nightly news one in three people diagnosed with an eating disorder is male Mm -hmm. and experts say that number is probably higher however almost all eating disorder research focuses on women And I will be the first to admit, I have been much more focused on my daughter when we talk about body image in our household than I have been on my two sons. Mm -hmm. So how are you hoping that your book, that sharing your own story will help expand this conversation and improve mental health care as it relates to body image and disordered eating for boys in particular?
1: Yeah, well um i think it's a i think these discussions are are ones we need to have more we need to be talking about this more in terms of how it relates to everyone and not just kids adults too because kids are learning so much and developing their own relationships with their bodies often in response to how the adults in their lives are um you know giving clues and insights about their own relationships with their bodies whether it's you know comments or just their behavior um but um when it comes to boys you know growing up as a kid i thought i was alone in dealing with these things and then when i learned that i wasn't alone i thought that i was the only boy dealing with these things cuz the only information the only stories were of girls so i'm glad there's a story now for boys and there are a few others that are out there already and there's one there's another coming out so hopefully it's a trend and there's more books about this from all sorts of different perspectives um but yeah i think the boy and male because it's you know in males too um it's under discussed and it's different in certain ways Growing up as a boy, the culture was very much man up, to, to sum it up in, in two words. And I think that's going away somewhat, but you still see that with boys and with men, um, this sort of, um, you know, keep your emotions to yourself if you even can admit that you have any Um, You know, they're not to be discussed, they're not to be open, especially if it's a weak emotion. You know, maybe you can show anger, but you can't show vulnerability, you can't show sadness, you can't show a lack of self-confidence, or um, self-acceptance. It's a very sort of toxic thing. And I think it compounds all of these issues, and also leads to men and boys probably hiding it more from the people in their lives. And it also, I think, makes them less likely and less willing to discuss it or admit it or make steps towards getting better. I also think that it's more common in men and boys. And again, I'm not a scientist, I'm not studying this stuff, and we just said there's not much research on it, but I think it often presents itself in different ways. So I think an eating disorder in men and in boys can often, um, the symptoms might be harder to see. It might be showing itself as over-exercising or someone who's incredibly body conscious in a negative way and incredibly, um, you know, distractingly and, um, unhealth, unhealthily obsessed with their appearance. They might be an incredible objectively incredible shape right but if their interior context of why they're in such good shape why they're in the gym all day why they're working out like crazy if it's these um you know negative thoughts and um you know a, a completely negative and scary um view of their self and i and their own identity then obviously that's not good So, I think it just often presents itself in ways that are harder to identify, and that traditionally in our culture, we often celebrate. Um, And, you know, we do it for the opposite, too. We celebrate people who are thin. Recently, a celebrity was celebrated for not eating and going on a diet so they could fit into a dress for a big event. Um, So, a lot of times, unhealthy behaviors are being celebrated Um, but I think with boys and men we just have to sort of broaden our idea of how these things can present themselves and also uh, you know I would hate to diagnose people who are being healthy but often these things can appear healthy and masquerade as healthy when the internal discussion driving a lot of these behaviors are very unhealthy.
0: That's such good perspective. Um, and you know, as you are talking about some of what you have been through, it resonates with me in terms of our culture might be changing today where, you know, we don't have the same toxic scenarios around boys and men, but parents today, may have grown up in in that right. kind of toxic situation. And so we carry that with us into the way that we parent our kids, uh, whether we know it or not. So I think a really hard piece of this for parents is we have to model this. We have to model loving our own bodies. We have to watch what we're saying about our own bodies before we can really teach our kids to love themselves. So for parents who may be dealing with body image issues, how do we work to overcome that while also helping our kids love themselves for who they are?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough. I think um, you know, when I've been presenting this book, I, I just got back from a tour with it after its release. And um, you know, I'm careful um to say that I think we all could could um benefit from some honest consideration about our relationships with our bodies, young and old. And um, I have had just as many notes and uh, from adults readers as kids. I've had just as many adults stay after my sessions and talk to me about this and open up to me about this and share what they've been going through. Um, so I think it's important that we look at ourselves and, um, you know, sort of be aware and conscious of the thoughts that we're having as we move through a day, what's driving us to do things like exercise and eat in certain ways. And also, I think a big part of it is, um, comments that we might make about our own behavior around food and exercise and weight management, and also the comments we make, um around kids about what they're eating and what they're doing and about, you know, if there's good and bad food or um certain, you know, tying certain behaviors to having certain types of food. Um, it's uh it's it's very tricky and tough, but I think it's all the more tricky and tough when our own relationships with our bodies are complicated, or potentially negative. But I think the more work we do on ourselves and the more aware we are, um, the better it will, um, you know, impact our kids. Because they are, you know, it amazes me how much, um, I have three kids and it amazes me how much they absorb. You know, I think often they're not listening to me or not paying attention, but they're paying attention. And they're, um, you know, we are their primary models um, for behavior and for everything, even, you know, letting them see you celebrating your body or celebrating food or saying, oh man, I exercised this morning and now I feel so much happier, or I really want to just get outside and move my body. Or isn't it amazing that, you know, I'm, you know, I can do this or that, or isn't it great that we can use our bodies in this way? Just I think framing all of this stuff in a positive um, light can really increase their appreciation and understanding um, of their own bodies and and how they nourish it and feed it. Um, Yeah, but uh, it's tricky. You know, I'm the first to say it's tricky. (laughs) And and there are some great resources. If parents out there want to explore this more and um, especially, you know, I am, um, I guess you very kindly called me an expert, I think, but I'm coming at this from one sort of side, but there are people out there who are doing research and really dedicating all of their time and life and, and brains to this stuff. Um, there's some great Instagram accounts in particular about healthy attitudes towards food and eating and diet and nutrition with kids. And, um, there's uh, a woman, Virginia Soul Smith, she just came out with a fabulous book called Fat Talk, which is just all about parenting in this age that we are, this post diet culture, which I think isn't even that post. I think it's still with us just in different ways. Um, but yeah, I would encourage anyone who wants to sort of further investigate this with more of a scaffolding and assistance to check out some of those accounts and um, the work of Virginia Sol Smith, especially.
0: That's so helpful, thank you for that. What, What does it look like for parents to effectively bring up the topic of body image, of disordered eating in our households with our kids? And when do we start talking about all of this with them?
1: Yeah, I think it's, well, I think it's never too early to talk about things that you think it's too early to talk about kids with. It's just about how you approach it. You know, um, I have a five-year-old, five and a half, three and a half, and 10-month-old. And um, when, in the middle of the pandemic, when um, there was... um, even just the pandemic itself, how do you talk about a pandemic and why we can't go outside with kids? How do you talk about um, what's going on with our police and um, our neighbors and race and so many things um, and politics? Um, And, uh, you know, we're sitting there watching the news and we've got the news on on January 6th. And how do you explain that to, I mean, you can't not explain it to a kid is my approach. It's just about how you do it. Um, and there are certain things you leave in, certain things you maybe don't address quite yet, certain angles you come at it from, but we've got a book, um, fabulous book by um, Taylor, I'm blocking on on her name right now, on their name, um, but it's just called Bodies Are Cool. It's a picture book. Um, I can't believe I'm blocking on their name. I, I We read the book constantly. Um, but it's just sort of a celebration of the diversity of bodies. Um, and it's written in rhyme with these beautiful colored illustrations. And for us, that was a great way to just expose our kids, um, to some different ideas and some things they might not be getting in day-to-day conversation with us. And so now our kids sort of, um, see someone with, um, Um, you know, a certain skin condition or in a wheelchair or a certain size, um, whether it's larger or shorter. Um, And they don't really bat an eye because they've just been exposed to it. So I think we can expose our kids to these questions and ideas um, and from a very early age and just talk to them about bodies as being amazing and things to celebrate and for there to be natural differences. When it comes to kids growing up and discussions around it, um, I think it can be really important to approach it um, slowly and indirectly, because especially once the kids become, you know, teenagers and tweens, um, a direct aggressive approach is probably going to scare them off and do more damage than um, good. Um, But I have found that kids um, are not only willing, but eager to discuss these things, whether or not they are dealing with it personally, because they are so entrenched in in an image-obsessed world. And um, whether or not they've been given the language to discuss it or the opportunities to discuss it Um, I also think it's very powerful to um, approach a conversation not as um, an authority figure, as a parental and potential punisher, but as a peer. And to make yourself vulnerable at the beginning of a discussion in which you hope for someone else to maybe consider making themselves vulnerable is an incredibly powerful act and will um, let that person know that you trust them and that you want them to be able to trust you. And um, it will, you sort of model for them how empowering it can actually be to share something that it might feel very scary um, and um, the opposite of empowering to, to say. Um, so I think um, it's never too early And if you do have those conversations, um, do not be aggressive, do not come off as any sort of punishing, Um, bring it up. And, you know, hopefully the answer is, you know, what you hear is that your kids or the kids in your life have a very healthy, positive relationship with their bodies and with food and eating. Um, And if they don't, maybe they don't tell you that first time, but maybe they talk about it another time, or maybe in a week they bring it back up because they want to talk about it. Um, but I think it's, it's often not something we discuss why we're eating food and what makes us feel good and what makes us feel not as good and and what's good for us and what's, you know, fine to eat sometimes. And, um, but the more we give them the language to deal with this stuff and, and positive language, um, the you know, the better they can, the more they're equipped to um, do it themselves. So you know, being open about yourself, I think, will go a long way, um, and and making space and time for for the kid to uh, reciprocate and open back up and sort of to give them the language and framework to sort of come to these conclusions, hopefully in a positive way themselves.
0: I will say that we have had to have these conversations much earlier in my household, which I think is like all things parenting. Yeah, (laughs) Sometimes I'm good at being proactive and getting ahead of the game, but um, it's like, I can't use my own childhood as a blueprint for these kids because things happen sooner, things happen faster. Um, so I have been surprised, uh, with my oldest about how early and how often, even if she wasn't aware of it first, other kids around her talking about their bodies, they're making comments about her body. Um, so that's been surprising to me. Um, so I have had to be a little bit more reactive with my oldest than I wish I had been, but I do feel like that has set me up as it often does to make some earlier choices with my younger kids and having those conversations with them.
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of work you can do, um, even, even less directly, just sort of like, you know, making sure that that picture book, we read that picture book regularly, just exposing them to certain things and framing those moments in a positive light, or, you know, celebrating them and their bodies um you know even if it feels weird to talk about um to be so conscious about um what the when their bodies are doing something amazing and celebrating that or to be so conscious about talking about food and nutrition i mean it seems weird but i think part of the reason it seems weird is cuz we've never done it we didn't grow up doing it you know um the first i heard about um, you know sort of the the first language I had about food and body and nutrition and exercise and all that came in the form of overhearing things about diets and picking up things about that which is not a healthy framework foundation to to begin from um, yeah
0: I relate to that and I feel like I have had that sense that I don't want that for my own kids. I want them to have a different understanding and a more positive framework to operate within. One of my um, tried and true methods as a parent is when I don't know how to talk to them about something, we get a book about it, (laughs) which is why we're excited about your book. So let's talk about some of the signs that your character will displays around body image or disordered eating that as parents are reading along with their kids some things that we should be aware of as parents that could be warning signs in our own kids
1: yeah so the way that i think of disordered eating and i'm sure there's other technical uh and and other authorities would would provide different, slightly different variations on this definition, but the way that I think about it and the way that I talk to kids about it is, um, anything that is preventing someone from listening to their bodies and giving their bodies what they're asking for. Um, so, you know, when we're in tune with our bodies and understand the signals it's giving us, we know that when it asks us for sleep, when it asks us for food and water, and the more we're sort of aware and in tune, With our body and how it responds, we know what food makes us happy and what food gives us energy and what food maybe doesn't give us energy or what food maybe fills us up for a little bit, but then we get hungry again. So the more we're in tune with that stuff and listen and can give our body what it wants and, you know, have a healthy, positive relationship with food at our bodies, the better. So I think this manifests in lots of different ways, but, um, any sort of increased consciousness around food and the eating of it and meal times. Um, If kids are not eating certain foods that they would generally eat, if they're limiting what they can eat, if some foods feel safe, if they are eating at um, sort of, uh, if they're increasingly uncomfortable about eating around certain people, or around people in general, if they're eating their meals or having their snacks more in private, um, stuff like that, if they're eating less, if they're exercising more. And again, one reason why I wanted to have a book that focused on disordered eating is because this stuff can appear so healthy um, and often framed as healthy. you know. How often have you heard someone say, oh, you're so good. You never eat dessert or, you know, um, or, you know, like it's my cheat day. So I'm going to have a cookie or, um, you know, I'm going to eat this, but uh, I, I'm going to have to work out later. I'm going to go extra hard at the gym later. Um, so anything that is sort of um, you getting in, someone getting in the way of their body and, and what it needs and what it wants. and that can be a cookie, you know, like, uh, you know, you you don't want to eat 27 cookies a day, every single day, but, um, you know, it's okay. Your, your body is okay to be, um, you know, given a little, um, bit of sugar every once in a while. And, you know, especially kids, they can learn, they can learn that food can be pleasant and a pleasure and something celebratory and and wonderful and delicious. Um, so yeah, uh, that's how I talk about it and think about it. And I think if we're aware with our kids of what our kids are doing and their behaviors and their patterns, if we're having meals with them, which is just another huge thing, you're modeling constantly every meal, healthy eating and a good attitude and, and good approach and behavior and and commentary around it. Um, but as long as we're aware of that stuff, um, it can, it can all be warning signs. Um, and I, you know, maybe I'm too pessimistic about this because of my own personal experience, but I find it hard to believe that there's anyone out there who has in our world, our cultural climate has a totally positive, great, a hundred percent, relationship with their bodies. So if you can share those things um, with your kids at those times um, and maybe discuss how you deal with it and how you've gotten around it and how you've gotten a better outlook about it. I mean, that is just so powerful. I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned throughout this process. I was terrified to share this book and all this stuff, but the more vulnerable I've made myself and the more honest I've been publicly, it's been healthier and more beneficial for me, but it's also just done wonders for all the people who have been exposed to that vulnerability. Um, you know, and I know that I benefit from people being honest and sharing openly. So yeah.
0: That's such good perspective. Um, I think, again, because today's parents didn't grow up having these conversations, we don't always know how to start and we don't always know what to look for in our kids. So, um, and again, we acknowledge you're, you're not a scientist, but your personal experience and your experience in writing this book, your experience as a dad, I think is, is super helpful for all of us parents who are, have the opportunity to learn from you. So we've talked about positive body image with our kids, helping them have good relationships with their bodies. But let's talk about how do we teach our kids not to fat shame or not to not to shame others about their bodies in general? How do we kind of talk to them about, it's not just about how you feel about yourself internally, but it's about making good decisions and not making negative comments about other people's bodies.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a big, tricky, naughty question. Um, Uh, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, our culture at large and changes that are going on in that, that, that are good. Um, you know, growing up the, the movies I saw, the books I read, um, some of my favorite books from when I was a kid, I go back and read them and, um, it was cheap, easy comedy to, to make fun of, to make a joke at a, at a larger person's expense. Um, and you know some of my favorite movies growing up that I loved had was was full of that. It was uh, it's it, you'd be hard pressed to find a comedy that came out uh, before the two thousands and probably a lot after the two thousands that didn't have some sort of fat shaming in it um, because it was just like almost like. Oh yeah, this 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 part of the plot is from a writing standpoint. I can almost see how they're like, we need we need some filler here. We need a couple laughs here. Get some cheap laughs there. Um, it was so present. Um, and it's very much while it's not probably present in our Hollywood movies anymore. Um, it's present certainly on the internet culture. It's everywhere. I mean. Feel like I see a new headline every every day, every week about a celebrity who's dealing with it in the in the comment sections of their posts and things. Um, I think um, there are some positive trends in our culture at large, which of course our children are so enmeshed in. Um, but just people who um, celebrate their size or who are celebrated um, for um, you know for reasons having nothing to do with their size necessarily, you know, the fact that we have Lizzo as a pop star and, um, she's just an incredible pop star. Um, and the fact that girls just have, um, and, and boys just have her as a role model, as another role model up there on stage, along with Taylor Swift and, you know, whoever else is a positive trend. Um, you know, plus size modeling has, that's been a huge shift. Um, um, And all that stuff that is happening in our culture. Um, And I think on a more personal individual level, um, any way that we can increase children's empathy for other people is, is um, going to go a long way towards ending bullying or just being, Making kids more aware of the power of their um, presence in other people's lives. You know, in my book, the character who does the bullying, um, if you want to call it bullying, um I mean it's it's an isolate, it's a single incident. So um, I didn't want to make it a stereotypical bully. You could even say that um a lot of these shaming incidents are coming inadvertently um from even adults saying things and not realizing the harm they're causing. But um, I wanted to, with my book, um, make sure that kids were more aware than ever or newly aware of the power of a single word they could say to another individual, even if that person never crosses paths with them again. Um, And so having such discussions with kids about the power of their words and their voice for negative and for positive impact, um, uh, I think, is 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 a great start. And uh, books are empathy machines. Good books and talking about good books with kids and finding books that kids connect with and that they're going to engage with, it's expanding and exercising their empathy, and it's going to make them when they step back into the world after being immersed in a book um, like that, they are going to be more aware and sensitive and gentle with the people around them. Um, But um, yeah, I think all of that. And, and again, to go back to the adults in their lives, the way things are framed and the way that they discuss people who look different um, is huge. Um, You know, I can't stress enough, and I know every parent is aware of this, but I forget on a day-to-day basis often how much my kids are internalizing from what I say and from what I do, Um, you know, yeah.
0: It's so hard that to, like, do the effective parenting we want. We have to work on ourselves. first.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, they say that, you know, I know they always say you got to take care of yourself and self-care will make you a better carer for other peoples, but self-work will also make you, you know, maybe work a little bit better on behalf and for, and with, with your kids.
0: So true. As we close out our conversation today, Jarrett, what is the number one piece of advice you want to leave our parents with about helping them have positive, healthy relationships with their bodies?
1: Oh man, um, the one piece of advice, um, it's, it's tough to say. Um, for me, I think uh, the most important thing was to find individuals in my life who uh, I felt comfortable broaching these topics with, especially as they relate to me in a very vulnerable and often scary and unsettling way. And um, having people in my life who are aware of my history with these things and how they manifest and using those peoples to sort of um, check in with when things are maybe tough or um, who are there to check in with me as it I think more often happens. Um, you know, so my wife, for example, if she can see me getting stressed and knows that stress might lead to me picking up certain behaviors or approaches or thoughts that might lead to these things that have haunted me and put me in a bad place. Um, you know, she can say, Hey, um, you know, why don't you, I'm going to take the kids over, uh, to the playground. Why don't you go for a bike ride or why don't you go to the skate park and um you know do some do something for yourself so having people who are aware of this stuff your spouse a friend um colleagues I think has been the most important thing for me you know we are all unreliable narrators in our lives and to have someone checking our internal monologue Even if, you know, they can't hear it, but they can see the signs and to have someone feeding us some different stories about ourselves when we're maybe feeding ourselves only negative stories about ourselves. That's been huge for me and that has saved me and kept me um, healthy more times than I can count.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Jarrett, for sharing so much about your personal story and giving us such great perspective about how to have really effective conversations with our kids.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for um, giving me this opportunity. And if my insight and personal story can can help some people out there, it, it's, it's really amazing and rewarding. So thanks for the opportunity.
0: You've definitely given me a lot to think about as a mom of three kids, and I know the same will be true for all of our listeners as well. Thank you. For our listeners, find more presentations by nationally renowned parenting experts like Jarrett through membership in the Modern Art of Parenting. Visit ModernArtOfParenting.com to learn more about membership, which are just $19 a month or $199 for the year with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.